All right, well, hello everybody that is out there. Welcome to another conversation on Undefined with Josina Anderson. Today, the conversation is called Allegations, Lawsuits, Crisis, and NFL Conversation. Um, and today we have a esteemed panel. We are joined by Michael McCann, who is a legal expert with Sportico. We have Ali Jacobs, who is the <laughs> Director of Counseling and Advocacy at the Houston Area Women's Center. Uh, we have Stephanie Stradley, who contributes to the uh, Houston Chronicle and also um, is an attorney in Houston. We've got Roddy White, who also needs his own, uh, doesn't need an introduction, former NFL player. And we've got David Cornwell, who is a sports attorney. Um, he has represented the likes of Jameis Winston and Ben Roethlisberger and many more in the past. Uh, so I appreciate you guys joining us. Thank you. A pleasure. Thank you for having me. Uh, yes, thank you. And also, I just want to let everybody um, know that we're going to possibly be joined by two other players. Um, right now, Charles James is asking to come in, so we're going to let him come in. So, yes, come in. Um, obviously, you know, Charles James used to play for the uh, Houston Texans, and we also may be joined by uh, Clarence uh, Hill, who is a uh, writer for the uh, Dallas Fort Worth uh, Star Telegram and covers the Cowboys. And also Chester Pitts might join us uh, as well. So today what I want to do is have a conversation around the uh, Deshaun Watson situation. Uh, you guys know, particularly you, uh, Stephanie, who is in Houston, that this conversation has transitioned from uh, you know, talking about whether he's going to be traded to trying to determine how all of these multiple lawsuits are going to be resolved uh, involving him. And just for everybody out there, you know, the purpose of this conversation is to uh, have a high level discussion, obviously, with multiple experts who are qualified to talk on the topic. We're going to do our best to be uh, balanced and fair and all of those other things. Um, so uh, feel free to also comment live while we are having this discussion. Um, the first thing I want to do real quick, especially with Ali Jacobs joining us, um, who, uh, again, I mentioned is the director of counseling and advocacy from the Houston Area Women's Center, is just really quickly, if you can tell everybody what your role is there um, how and how long you've been working there. Absolutely. So I am the director of the counseling and advocacy department. Um, the Houston Area Women's Center started in 1977 as a response to the need of survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And we are actively um, providing services to survivors in kind of three different buckets, crisis response, which is our 24 hour response, uh, survivor empowerment, which is where my program falls in. So I have the opportunity to supervise the staff that provides the therapeutic and counseling support to survivors of sexual uh, and domestic violence here in Houston community. Okay, and then the other thing I want you to do really quickly is if you can share the stats that you feel are relevant to this conversation when it comes to uh, women reporting and also the percent of false allegations within that stat as well. Right. So sexual violence um, and using that as an umbrella term is really the most underreported crime that that we know of. Um, typically, it's about 10% of survivors actually make a report. From that, about 50 of those reports transition into an arrest. And from there, it's, it's very small numbers that, that 
perpetrators are serving time in jail. Um, from that, what we know is, again, it's so underreported, but the allegation, the false allegation statistics are no different than any other crime. Um, and that's typically two to 8%. But I think the media has, has a role in playing a very different story that there's often the, the idea that there's a lot of false allegations out there. Okay, and then also really quickly, if you can just um, outline some of the characteristics, especially as the Director of Counseling and Advocacy at the Houston Area Women's Center, that you look for when it comes to identifying trauma, even if it's on the other side of the spectrum with regards to the umbrella term that you mentioned that you use as sexual violence, when it comes to um, someone who is talking about inappropriate conduct, um, mm -hmm. uh, being exposed to someone exposing themselves, whether it's threats, uh, forced acts in general, in general mm -hmm, speaking. Mm -hmm. So really we know that when an individual has a traumatic experience, there's a neurobiological, you know, changes in the brain that happen and that produces normal common trauma reactions. And that can really run the gamut between some people um, having a lot of anxiety or fear and other people experiencing a very, like a lack of emotion and, a, and an, a numbness almost out of shock. We know that there's like a biopsychosocial impact. So we see impacts, um, in an individual in a psychological and mental state where they may have trouble um, with intrusive thoughts or some confusion. We see emotional uh, trauma where, again, they may feel emotionally numb or they may feel a lot of anxiety and panic. We see a lot of physical impacts um, in, in just biologically, like upset tummies or disturbances in sleep. And then behaviorally, we see, again, that gamut where we see a lot of people who could be isolated and really withdrawn, or we see a lot of people being very active. There's no one way that an individual responds to trauma. It is a very individualized experience um, and, and, and therefore a very individualized like expression of that trauma as well. And then lastly, before I bring other people in, the one thing I also wanted you to address, and then I'm going to bring you back in on other questions as well, is um, with respect to the Deshaun Watson case, um, and just also in general, I'm obviously using that as our uh, you know umbrella with why we're mm -hmm. having this discussion, but how many times or can you give us some sort of idea um, that you personally have run into a uh, woman that you feel have um, not given an account that would be truthful and how that relates to the mantra of the Houston Area Women's Center. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So we provided services in my department alone um, for over 4,000 individuals, unduplicated individuals. So statistically, there are so many survivors of domestic and sexual violence. And we take the stance at the Missionary Women's Center that every survivor deserves to be believed, deserves to be supported, and to really let them know that support and services are available to them. Um, in my uh, you know 15 years at the agency, I've had the opportunity to go along this journey with so many brave individuals that have spoken out on their trauma. And, and as the, the mantra of the agency, we believe all survivors. So given that, David Cornwall, that you hear, you know, that mantra and, and everything that uh, Ali did such a good job for us in terms of setting the table. Can you kind of put into context, David, uh, the challenges um, that you have faced in your experience in representing Jameis Winston, Ben Roethlisberger, or just whoever that are uh, NFL uh, athletes or athletes that you've represented when it comes to dealing with 
she said, he said cases and the challenges of that, particularly when you hear, you know, that stance. You know, I'd be happy to, and I'm happy to join this group. And Ali, first, I applaud you for the good work that you're doing. Thank you. As as, my pleasure. As a lawyer, I have to be precise. I have to think about things in precise categories. So the mantra may be uh, to believe all survivors with respect to mental health support and those types of services that Ali provides. But as a lawyer, especially if you're representing the accused, we start out with innocent until proven guilty. So that creates a, a conflict right there. If the survivors to be believed, that means the accused is guilty. Now, what I would say is that uh, the woman should be given the, a full opportunity to tell her story in, in, impart, in front of an impartial panel, judicial proceeding, uh, and all support given to her to be able to do that. And the flip side is that the accused is entitled to a vigorous defense. And sometimes these lines get blurred, particularly with NFL administrative discipline, uh, lording over the player, and with the media focused on getting a story. So there are different timelines, there are different objectives, but at the at the end of the day, my primary job is to provide a vigorous defense for the accused, if that's my client. Stephanie, you wanted to jump in there? Yeah, um, yeah I wrote about this and it's in my pinned tweet, but I, I, think, I think the fundamental thing is when we have the phrase, believe survivors, believe women, some people take that as meaning, well, people never lie or anything like that. And I think what's really important with that as a concept is, is that it hasn't been always the case that people are immediately believed that the, the first reaction that people get is suspicion or, you know, people trying to argue this or that. And I think with, with all of this discussion, we have to keep humanity at its center and in, in putting it at its center, we when we hear serious allegations, we need to consider them as serious allegations, not, oh, well, maybe this happened or maybe this happened. You know, the, the parties have lawyers. Like we as, as outsiders, we don't have to argue the case. We as outsiders should come from this, from a perception of, yes, these are serious allegations and we need to take them seriously. At the same time, we should assume nothing and the facts are what the facts are and those will come to, to bear. And it's good to have fair processes, fair civil law processes, fair criminal law, fair NFL processes, which sometimes they are not. <laughs> and and I, think, I think the key to that whole process is People have different experiences. And when we talk about these issues, there's a lot of fear. And when people here believe all women, there might be some people that go, hey, wait, I had a situation where that person shouldn't have been believed. That's not what that's all about. I think what's all about is we should take the stance that these are serious issues. 
treat them seriously, but also recognize that we should have fair process so that people feel as though they are heard and the facts are what they are. Like it shouldn't be one of those things where people pick a side and then only listen to the things that support their point of view. I mean, okay. it, it's and, and with, what they are. Absolutely, and I appreciate you saying that. And with that respect, Roddy, jump in there. Um, you know, can you uh, just kind of express the difficulties that you feel or that you may see with regards to any player who's in this situation um, or could be in this situation um, and facing allegations that like in this case, Deshaun Watson um, has issued a very you know strong denial uh, initially on, on Twitter. And, um, you know, obviously it's stuck by that statement. You know, what do you think about that? Uh, I mean, it's been a difficult process for me because of just, just the allegations and just the situation of the relationship between a massage therapist and an athlete. Mm -hmm. And in um, a lot of situations, you meet people and you go through these things and you develop relationships with these people, you know, and then over time, like you get to know them. And a lot of times they actually get to know you in other way, forms of fashion. And, you know, these people are tied to your family. They're tied to your friends. They've been massaging other guys around the league that you know. So when I look into something that happens to this, to Deshaun like this, it's like it puts on notice that every athlete that's, you know, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, whatever, like everything's going to change from what's transpiring with him. So it's just a difficult thing. I've, I mean, I've been in a massage room where I've been, I've developed relationships with some of the massage therapists that massage me that, I mean, we sit here and talk about anything, mm -hmm. you know, and then there's other ones where not two words are said, or I'm mm -hmm. just going to sleep. So it's just different you know, environments, and it's just, I want to see how it plays out. I want to see, you know, some of the things that are being said throughout this, you know, throughout these allegations, because it's it's just tough to be in the situation that he's in, because, I mean, based on the relationship that you have with that person, it will determine how comfortable you are with that person. Mm -hmm. and, and Michael, maybe you can also provide some insight too with regards to, um, you know, the civil process from here. You know, we know that 22 women filed a civil lawsuit. Uh, one of them has, uh, at least for the time being, uh, dismissed the case um, for right now or is pulling away with the option of, you know, coming back. What should people be anticipating with regards in your mind just to, you know, the process from here or, you know, what you want to say on that? Well, well, thank you for having me, and it's, it's mm -hmm. such a great group to be part of. I, I think there are so many different processes mm -hmm. relevant. You know, th there's a court, but there's almost six or seven courts here. There's mm -hmm. the criminal investigation, which I think we would all agree is the most serious and troubling, certainly for Watson. Then there's the civil, which I'll talk about in a second. But there's also contractual relationships with the NFL, where we know that their process has not always been above board and fair. Similarly, the Texans have a stake in this. And then there are his sponsors. And then, of course, there's the court of public opinion. So I would say, you know, when we're looking at this, there are so many different juries that and each has their own system for resolving this. And, and they may end up in tension at some points. But in terms of the civil process, 
the plaintiffs have to prove their claims by a preponderance of evidence. There are two basic types of claims in the complaints. One is assault, that civil assault specifically, that he committed unwanted physical contact on a massage therapist that he knew or should have known would cause offense. And then secondly, intentional infliction of emotional distress, which is basically saying- All allegedly, I just want to interject it. All allegedly, <laughs> and he denies it, but let's be clear about that, that mm -hmm. his behavior is so outrageous that it's beyond the, the realm of, of basic decency and it's intended to humiliate and harass. So that's the law. We know one play, uh, case has been dismissed, but the others remain. And the next part of the process would be his legal team answering the complaints, presumably denying the allegations. And they would also at some point seek dismissal of the litigation and the process would take off from there. Okay, real quick, Clarence, can you hear us? Can you hear me? I can hear you fine. Yay, Clarence is everybody. Give a round of applause to Clarence. We hear him. <laughs> okay, and then Charles, we appreciate you guys for uh, those of you who are uh, joining us. Uh, Charles, uh, James, who used to play for the Houston Texans, is also in what here. Up, and up? Clarence Hill is now with us. We already introduced you as well. So, Clarence, what do you make of, especially as someone who lives in uh, Dallas, uh, obviously you covered the uh, Ezekiel Elliott situation, which is, it's its own bucket, but nonetheless was a, a case as well. What do you make of how this is playing out in Texas and, and how the media is covering this issue. Yeah, and first of all, you know, just from an NFL standpoint, as with Zeke, there were no charges. He still got suspended. Mm -hmm. And so I think that right now, to his reputation, there's already maybe irreparable harm. Mm. And because this thing is, you know, we, we're old enough, we go back to the Ben Roethlisberger stuff and all that other stuff, but that was before social media. This thing is mm -hmm. playing out daily, hourly on social media, mm -hmm. and people are already judging and picking sides, right, wrong, and different. They're doing that. And, you know, especially the more allegations come out, and I know as a lawyer, you talked about, you know, you have to defend your case, uh, but the the way it's coming out, the, the, the court of public opinion has not been on his side, and I don't know if that's fair or not. I know we, 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 we should believe women but it hasn't been tried in court yet. It's only been tried in public opinion and it's, and it's been tough, you know, it, it's a tough situation. And, and so uh, I know one thing I've learned over the years, going back from the Tiger Woods thing uh, to some, some other things, we don't know these people, you know, mm -hmm. and a lot of the thing is we, we think we know Deshaun because we see him on TV and we see him doing all these great commercials and, and, and great things in the community, but you really don't know these people. You don't know their private lives. You only know the images that they have crafted, the carefully crafted images. Uh, uh, so that's one thing I, I certainly try to give people pause when they try to say, you know, there's no way he could have done it. We don't know. You don't know, you know, what people do or, or are capable of doing. I know I've covered the NFL since 1997 and I've seen everything. You know, you know, I, you know, being in Dallas, being in the center of the, you know, the '90s Cowboys and everything, I, I've seen it all. And a lot of people want to believe things about them because of our image of them, you mm -hmm. know, to a certain extent. And mm -hmm. you don't want to believe this about Deshaun because of our image of Deshaun, or mm -hmm. what we thought we knew about him. But you don't know, and, mm -hmm. and we don't know. And so, uh, you know, this is it's certainly a a lightning rod situation in Texas, certainly in Houston, a lot of fans who, who don't want to believe it, uh, fans of Deshaun and think that certainly there's people who believe that, this, you know, the Texans are taking him down. Well, 
how does this help the Texans? Mm -hmm. you you know, know, because he doesn't want to play there. Mm -hmm. Well, and Clarence, thank you, thank you for bringing up that, like the the image. And I think what's so important is it doesn't have to be one or the other. Like we right. can, like people can be both good people and do bad things. Like it doesn't have to be the one or the other. And I think we do in in media and in society, like we go one way or the other. Like it, it is, you know, guilty or innocent or, or or X or Z. You know, like it is. And I think it's so important to recognize that. People and, and speaking at, at a larger level, people who perpetrate abuse choose to be abusive to certain people and have other relationships in their life that are healthy, are successful, are not abusive. So, so you can very much have both of these, these facades in an individual. And I think that's so important to bring up. Charles, I want to get you in there real quick because obviously too, can you hear me okay, Charles? Yeah. Um, okay, great. I, I, and not, you have been on, go ahead, go ahead. I'm not sure how long y'all been in here, but you know, what's been brought up in the topics. I know mm -hmm. for me, myself, mm -hmm. I'm just on the side of, you know, um, Clarence said it with rep, man, you lose your rep. I don't care you know, what anybody says, anything like that. When you go out and allegations are brought upon you, you people already pin you guilty. You get it's guilty until you prove it innocent. It ain't innocent until you prove it guilty anymore. And that's mm -hmm. what I don't like about it. Because, like I said, now I'm look. I don't want it to be true about the guy. Because just as a, a young black man, I just don't want to see him go down like that. I don't want to see that happen. But if he did, he gotta he gotta get he gotta get his consequences. But my thing is, you know, he's losing endorsements, things like that. And then when you go out here to this social world. Let's say, hey, it could all blow over, and you know he's out in L.A., Miami, just anywhere. When you see Deshaun Watson, yeah, you gonna see him as a football player, but you gonna be like, man, don't you be. You know, because they brought the Busby brought the lady, um, the lady in about like human trafficking, like it's blowing up to all type of stuff. I'm like, what is human trafficking got to do? But it's now it's made into a thing to where like this guy could be he's portrayed as like a serial rapist who's human trafficking and doing all this other extra stuff. You don't get that rep back. I don't care what you say. If Charles James goes out and I go to a store right now. And I paid for something, but I get arrested. Then they later come back and say, oh, man, he bought it. They still going to say, man, then you still out the store. Somebody's going <laughs> right. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? So it's one of those things to where I'm just on the side of rip. You know, mm -hmm. I don't, we all don't know what happened. But mm -hmm. I just know certain things like that, he won't get back ever, ever. Ain't nobody. Oh, this, it's a, these people on Twitter, they're real people. Everybody's not a bot. It's somebody behind that fake page, too, that's a real person. And they want to believe what they put out. Because guess what? Last thing. Mm -hmm. so a lot of times, you know, you get these athletes, us as athletes and things like that. Even if they do get off, guess what they say? Oh, man, he paid them. You know, he mm -hmm. did this, man. He did that. And it's just, it'll never go away. So, I mean, that's my that's, 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 an, that's, that's an important point. I've worked my way backwards. Mm -hmm. uh, he paid them. You know, people tend to think that celebrity justice means you get favors as the celebrity. Mm -hmm. I can tell you in my representation of high-profile individuals, Celebrity justice means it's more difficult on them than it is on others because of social media, because of the way the media looks at it, the way, because of the way that the NFL wants to make, make sure that if you have blemished the shield at all, whether you're found guilty or charged, you still have a price to pay to them. To the point about losing your rep and Michael's point about what five or six juries that you have to argue to, the most important uh, opening statement that I probably made in the Jameis Winston case 
was the statement I made the first day of the hearing to the media before we walked into the arbitration room. And I identified him as a grandson and a son and implored people to keep their mind open because there was a good chance that what happened did happen. He was found not responsible. Um, and the idea that a lawyer who's representing somebody with no reputation, uh, you, you have the luxury of just representing them on legal issues. But when you represent somebody like Deshaun, you absolutely have to recognize where court operates on a 30 day plus calendar and the NFL might operate on a, you know, who knows when you're going to hear from the commissioner calendar. The media operates on a daily calendar, sometimes down to the minute. So I've been involved in cases where I haven't said anything. I've been involved in cases where I said too much and only generated a shouting match with the other side. And I've been involved in cases where you watch and you stay quiet and let them kind of get the hook in their mouth. And then you fire a shot and then come back in. Now, Kobe Bryant's lawyer, in his case, she was so effective. Most effective thing she did was never comment. All the stories said that she declined to comment. And when they uh, dropped charges against Kobe, she looked like a genius, right? So mm. all these things, you're managing all these things. Where most, most lawyers just have to look at what day do I have to file my answer, right? What day do I have to reply? I know we worked in a case where uh, a client got fired. The I mean, got uh, accused of something. The mm -hmm. only reason we filed a motion to dismiss is that you get to tell the story in a motion to dismiss that you can't tell him. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So we communicated. We communicated to the public through our motion because the answer doesn't present an opportunity to tell the whole story. The idea that you have to make these type of decisions, it's very complicated. And that's why, you know, a woman has the absolute right to have her story heard and told in an impartial uh, tribunal. And the accused has an absolute right to a vigorous defense. And when you offer the vigorous defense, it's not that you're trying to impugn the, the woman, it's mm -hmm. that you're doing what you've raised your hand when you pass the bar as an obligation. You're obligated to do. So let me ask you uh, this, and this is also for, you know, everybody, but also our lawyers, too. And, and Michael, you and I were talking about this on the phone with respect to where Deshaun is now, um, especially uh, when he is uh, issued such a, um, you know, a strong denial. And obviously we have these allegations that are delineated through 22 civil lawsuits um, in the decision that, you know, one is making as to do you proceed forward? How you proceed forward? I, you know, the question is, what is to be gained by moving forward if so much of this is he said, she said, assuming that either side, meaning the, you know, the 21 plaintiffs or whatever it is now, 22, and, you know, Deshaun don't have some smoking gun that we're unaware of that is in the form of, uh, you know, a, a video like there was with, uh, you know, Kareem Hunt or Joe Mixon or some sort of audio recording that we're unaware of. You know, you would say, and you guys have been speaking to the social media aspect that a lot of people have their opinion as to what's already there. Most people are not going to listen to the details of everything that's going on day to day, as you mentioned. So, 
um, as you're thinking, like especially as you represented Ben Roethlisberger and Jameis David and, 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 and to the rest of the panel, what is to be gained for um, Deshaun Watson if at the end of the day it's going to be someone's word versus the other person's word, potentially? Well, you know, he neither he nor any of the, uh, for, for example, the, the people that I represented, should be called upon to compromise on the values that underpin defending yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, what's it going? What's what's it worth if you're still going to have a problem with Nike and people are going to see you out and say you did X? Well, at the end of the day, he's entitled to a vigorous defense and to be either acquitted or found not liable. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. if, if if people want to measure the Nike question or the, you know, Twitter question, you're talking to the wrong lawyer when you raise that to me. That's not my job, mm -hmm. right? Hire, hire a PR person, hire, you know, find, find out what Under Armour or Adidas are interested, but don't come to me and talk to me about compromising the fundamental right that you have to defend yourself because of, endorsements or something like that. That's going to be a short conversation. Well, I'm I, not interested in it. I'll do it, my best it, it, to minimize the value, mm -hmm. the impact on those things. But my job is to win well, on and, behalf and, of the client. And even, beyond this, even beyond this, this is an extraordinarily unusual situation. Most plaintiff's cases do not get kicked off on Instagram. <laughs> and, you know, it may be, let, you know, let's assume that he did want to settle. That means it takes two to tango. And so you might not even have that as an option. And it's clear from early in this case, like this is really early. As Michael mentioned, there hasn't been an answer yet. Like we don't know what the actual defense is. There might be even counterclaims. We don't know any of this. This is like they've kicked off the football and people are running down the field. They haven't caught the ball yet. That's how early in this that, that mm -hmm. things are. But there's a few things that we already know. For example, um, Watson's lawyer said that he welcomed being able to talk to the police about it. Now, why would he welcome that? Some people are like, oh, sure, he welcomes it. Well, you know, there's certain things that you cannot say publicly because you're at the risk of a, inviting a defamation lawsuit. That even if what you're saying is truthful, um, anybody can file a lawsuit or a counterclaim or something relative to what you're saying. And Rusty Harden has lots of experience in dealing with the police department. There may be some things that he might want to be sharing, but he doesn't want to share them publicly, either for defamation reasons or maybe settlement reasons. But he can share those things to police officers because that's privileged communications between them and the and you know just part of an investigation. Mm -hmm. there's, and me, there's any number of things, but like the normal things that that are in a part of civil litigation are blown up even higher when we're talking about fame and sports and reputation. It's not you know civil lawsuits are about money. But both sides have said that it's not about money. So it, that's hard to negotiate. Well, Roddy and, and Charles, if you can get in there from the player perspective, you know, uh, 
you can also talk about it, you know, if you were in this situation or just in general, how important you feel it is to defend your name or your reputation regardless and kind of weighing that if you were in this situation with going forward, you know, even if the outcome necessarily doesn't change the ratio of, uh, you know, how the public is looking at this. Well, I, for me, I would, I think the reputation thing is is pretty much done. I mean, there's 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 no coming back from from what has transpired because in the media's eye, he is already a guilty man. No matter. Do you think? Do you think so? Oh, you think I, that's so? You think that's the way the media is portraying it? Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Okay. I mean, when 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 you see all the endorsement guys getting all bored and. You see, like him leading, like every website, everything is leading off with the Deshaun Watson case. It's 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 a done deal. That's a done deal. But for him to be an innocent man, it's for him. It's probably more about just saving his grace, saving you know his family and everything that's around him. That means a lot to him, and um, just going out there and knowing that you're not that type of person. So as far as your image and the and your likeness as an NFL player, I don't want it to affect his game, like to where he goes out there and he's not the quarterback that he he used to be based on, you know, the things that has transpired and the way how people feel about him. So I just want him to be remain like who he is as a person and as an individual and as a football player. And um, if he could do that. I think he'll be fine. He'll make plenty of money in the NFL. You know, he's 25, 26 years old. So he'll be playing football for another 10, 15 years at the quarterback position. So I'm not really worried about, you know, his endorsements, deals, and things like that. Just more of just how people think of him. I mean, I've known that kid since. I, that's what I wanted you to do. I wanted you to interject, yeah. please, your background in terms of knowing Deshaun so people can understand, you know, how you're talking about him right now, where that's coming from. Yeah, I mean, I've known that kid, you know, since he was 15 years old. And he used to be the ball boy at every training camp that we were at. And he would come out there and throw the footballs with us. And we'd have talks with him. And, you know, since the ninth grade, he wanted to go to Clemson University. And I, I'd be over there trying to talk him out of it. So, And I've known him throughout the process of him going to Clemson and had conversations with him multiple times. You know, and, like, I feel like, like his character has never been questioned. So for these allegations to come out, it just, it was disheartening to me and I was kind of hurt because for knowing a guy for 10 years, I just, it was a curveball. I'd never seen, I'd never seen this coming from him, you know, and him being associated with these type of things. So. Well, and, and, and just, just to interject for a second, mm -hmm. lawsuits are the words put together by the lawyers. There's been lots of lawyer talk, but lawyers zealously represent their clients. That's mm -hmm. what they do. But they're also human beings, and especially this early in the case, they know what their clients have told them, right? They have that part of the story, and they may have different parts of the story yet. But like, what is in the lawsuit may not be exactly what happened in the like, because basically what is in a lawsuit is... Uh, the the client has told the lawyer 
what happened. They put the information in the lawsuit and they filed the lawsuit. At the end of the day, that might not be what the facts are. And so, but the facts are what they are. Like eventually, if this doesn't settle, we'll find out what the facts are and we may find out more facts down the road. And so I, I, I think, I think everybody shouldn't make assumptions about anything. Based on what's written in the lawsuit. No, because I can tell you mm -hmm. from the, the high profile things that I've handled, mm -hmm. um, the, the things that are speculated on or your lawyer tactics are this and blah, 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 blah. And, and I'm just like, where are you getting this? Where mm -hmm. is this coming from? And so it gets very frustrating when you can't share everything for whatever the reasons are. And I'm not saying that that's happening here, but this is extraordinarily complicated. And, you know, we're going to find out what the facts are eventually. So I want to ask, I wanted Charles, I wanted to ask you real quick and, and um, because just kind of also picking back off of what Roddy was saying, especially because first I want you to kind of talk about, you know, your rapport with Deshaun Watson. And then given that, is it, do you feel like you can, and this also pertains to you, Roddy, um, look at this case on its face as it develops, despite what you know of, of, of him prior to these lawsuits? Like for me, um, you know, uh, first, I know Deshaun is a cool guy. Been around him, talked to him, just super cool guy. Like, like, just like Roddy said, you know, it caught me off guard too. You know what I mean? This whole thing, like this whole, I'm like, and then you see the numbers, you know, not just one person, but the numbers of it go up. You're like, but hold on. Like, this is some, this is out of the ordinary. You know what I mean? But, you know, of course, picking back what, of what Roddy said, 100% rep is gone. Don't care what nobody say. Did the media, is the media proving them guilty? They can say they're not, but every day is, you know, Deshaun Watson, this and that. And guess what? You know, people, I talk to other players and players who in the NFL, I profile, you know, and they, man, what you think about this? Like, uh, I don't know. But because of what the media has pushed, that's why the, uh, I don't know. And then, like I said, the endorsements, they're gone. When endorsements leave, uh, you, if you go read up under those comments, and those are real people. This is the social media world we live in. Oh, yeah, you, yeah, he's done. Deshaun's done. It's done. He, and it's automatically one of those things. And one thing I want to point out mm. on both sides, mm -hmm. you, know, you got these 22 women, 21, and, you know, they, they got these acquisitions and things like that. And, you know, you know, our heart goes out, especially, you know, people who've gone through that, at a, you know, women who've gone through that, at a serious level, mm -hmm. you know, but one thing that I, you know, and I reached out to him, I got a response. Reached out nobody to who, Deshaun? Mental, nobody's thinking about Deshaun Watson's mental health right now. I don't know if y'all think this dude's sipping mojitos on the beach right now, mm. but this is serious stuff. And I don't, millions of dollars don't fix this. You know what I mean? Like you're, he's still a human being. He's still an emotional person. He still has 21, 22 allegations that he's facing right now that he completely feels like I didn't do this. He's not trying to tell his story in court. He's got to look his mother in the eye. You, yeah. He's got to look his grandmother in the eye. You he's feel what I'm saying? So he, you, you're absolutely right. When you sit down and look at the fear in somebody's eyes, knowing they didn't do something, it's not because they're scared of the court system. It's because they're overwhelmed by the family issues and those type of things. So Charles, you're absolutely right. That has an impact on somebody. And it's and like, just like it's Ali like, said, <laughs> an accused, right. accused suffers in some ways too. 
I, I, you know, I don't know the facts of this case. So let me make clear: I'm not mm -hmm. talking about uh, him specifically, and the, Deshaun specifically, or or the women specifically. But in the cases that I've handled, mm -hmm. um, we felt very comfortable that the allegations were not true. And so, sitting there and watching a young man with his grandmother who just wants this to go away. All she wants is for this to go away. And all I can tell her is that's not going to happen. So hold on one second. I want to get Allie back in here. Michael, I'm going to come to you and Clarence as well. Uh, listening to this aspect of the conversation, right, Allie? Yeah. How, how, are you, how are you filtering this? You're hearing two people a part of the conversation who have connections to Deshaun Watson, obviously yeah. David Cornwell, as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, for those of us uh, that are joining us now, has represented uh, Jameis Winston and Ben Roethlisberger uh, uh, in the past and other athletes. Uh, how are you filtering this? Because as you and I were talking about on the phone, there is the, you know, there is the other side, especially yeah. in this Believe Women and Me Too error. So I think one of the things that is really important is to is to take this like we we don't know the details of this case. We don't know if he's guilty. We don't know if he's innocent. But let's look at this at a larger level in that undeniably the mental health of everyone involved is is incredibly stressed and everyone deserves support. And I think one of the things that's so important is that when we see survivors, we live in a culture, we live in rape culture. And oftentimes there's so much victim blaming. Why didn't you report? Why don't you want your name out there? Why are you asking for money? These, why did you go out at night? Why did you wear this You know, out there? These are questions that survivors are approached with every single day. And I think it's so important that we send a message that this case is triggering survivors all over the place. And that this is not just one person and, and 22 you know, other individuals involved. This is infecting all survivors. This is a message that like our sisters, mothers, friends, like you know people in your life who are sexual assault survivors because they've either graced you with the honor of their story or or it's an unspoken truth and we have to look at how we're handling this because if we come out in the media and say that like oh they're all lying what's that sending to that person sitting next to you who maybe you don't know like both people get to be heard both voices i think are very very important but in the society that we live in like it was so interesting to me to hear how how you guys felt like the media has already pegged him as guilty because on the flip side i read all the comments where i'm like well this girl this and like why did she this where i i don't feel that i feel like there maybe the media has but society as a whole is is asking all of these victim blaming why 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 questions to these survivors and and i really worry about society's mental health as a whole like how are our survivors responding as a whole to this and how can we use this as an opportunity to show support to to a statistically really large population one in two women is going to experience sexual violence in their life 
33% of Texans are going to experience some form of sexual violence in their lifetime. And it's not just women, it's also children, it's also men, it's also our LGBTQ population. Like it is a survivor is a survivor. And how can we use this as an opportunity to show that there's justice and in, in, in let each individual define what justice is for them, but to support survivors in the world to say like, your voice deserves to be heard and not be met with backlash of like, hate mail or, or you're lying text messages. Like, well, Allie, let me push back just a little bit on this is a tough question and you let me you just answer it for sure. Um, you had mentioned at the beginning of the conversation and Clarence and Michael, I'm, I'm circling back as well, that the mantra of the Houston Area Women's Center is believe all women. So how do you juxtapose that mantra which uh, obviously we understand coming from you know the work that you do as a director of counseling advocacy for that facility um with what you just said with you know we need to give you know both sides of a, a case an opportunity to be heard if that's the starting mantra with you know at your facility or where you guys work mm -hmm. just so we understand so I think for me, that is justice. The, the justice system is very different than a community-based agency. Um, at the Houston Area Women's Center, we believe survivors. We want survivors to know that there's support available. Now, what happens in a, in a court of law is a very different process. We don't we don't investigate cases. We don't ask for a, a you know an innocent or guilty. We believe that something happened to an individual, and whether that can make it through a court of law in the way that we have the criminal justice system and and these offenses defined in law is is very different than than how they're experienced in in a community based agency. So so sexual assault to me is any is sexual violence is any violent touching any consent. Catcalling is sexual violence, but that can't go through a court of law for a voice to be heard. So Michael, if you can jump into this conversation for us and just give us your thoughts on what Deshaun Watson in your mind um, can gain uh, by moving forward, especially when you're hearing Roddy and Charles saying that, you know, reputation is already damaged. Sure. And I think drawing on David's point that, that he has a legal right to defend himself has to be foremost, right? That it's, he has the ability to defend himself with the court system, and he shouldn't forego that, even with the reputational harm that Roddy uh, and Charles talked about. At the end of the day, his legal rights, I would say, would, would come first as a priority. In terms of going forward, Ali's point is, is I want to emphasize where she said there are 22 women who, who are survivors. Now, more than that, if, if more. more than that, if you count the, the Sports Illustrated story of the person who did not file a case, and there may be any number of cases that were not filed as fast as Tony Busby filed his cases. But go ahead. And all yet still allegations, but go ahead. All yes. There are many women, let's let's say let's say that many women who believe and who argue that Deshaun Watson committed a, a illegal act, multiple illegal acts against them. It remains to be seen if that will be proven in court. But it also means that there are a, a lot of people who believe he did something wrong. And I think however this ends, to the extent Deshaun Watson wants to be able to restore his, his reputation for the reasons that we talked about, he has to explain why this is the case. Is it is it just all of these people are making this up entirely? Or are they saying things that allude at least to 
hurtful conduct. That doesn't mean it's illegal, right? There's a difference between something that could be considered unethical or immoral and something that's illegal. And I think we have to figure out how that's going to resolve itself if it resolves itself. The legal process may not do that, right? The legal process is focused on whether or not, in the case of a civil matter, there's a preponderance of evidence, or in a criminal matter, if it becomes that, whether it's beyond a reasonable doubt. The legal process won't, he'll be, he would be found not liable. That's not, he's innocent. So the restoring of his reputation to the extent that that's possible, it's not going to come through the courts. It, it may, might, though. I mean, it, it might come through the courts if the evidence comes out a particular way that says that supports what he's saying. I mean, yeah. you can do reputational repair in what comes out in court because there may like, you know, there's, you know, especially in, in the social media world, there could be any number of pieces of evidence that could come out in this case, in these cases. Sure, but I would say, push back a little. I would say there isn't going to be he's innocent, that that declaration won't come through a court. Even if it's dismissed, Stephanie, it still wouldn't be the type of vindication that he might believe he's entitled to. No, I, I, I disagree. It's, it's very unlikely to be. I had, I had a reporter when I asked on behalf of a client, now that we've gotten this result, why won't you write that they were false allegations, mm. right? And, and her response was, well, when you won, they didn't say innocent, they just said not guilty. Right. So it's hair splitting and, you know, I, I, I leave that, that, that world to other people because I, I can just deal with, with the fundamental, which is what Michael's saying, the fundamental obligation is to get up and speak on behalf of this young man and to win. And Clarence, if you can jump in, hold on one second, Roddy. Clarence, I just want to get him in real quick. Um, do you agree with Roddy and Charles as with regards to um, how this is playing out in the media, where according to how they stated it earlier, that um, it seems like the media is already portraying this through a guilty lens? Do you do you find that, or do you uh, what, kind of bring in what Ali was saying that when she's reading comments, she's seeing you know the attacks you know on women uh, with regards to the case or just in general? You're on mute. You're on mute. Clarence, take your mute off. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, Go ahead. I, I, got, I got people coming through my house, so I had to put mm. it on mute. But, but, <laughs> but <laughs> no, no. Uh, I think there's a distinction between the media and social media. I think that the lines have been blurred, and so people are confusing mm. the social media talk with professional media talk. I think professional media, if, if you look at ESPN, everybody's been cautious about drawing conclusions. Now they report the story, it's headline story every day or they're talking about it every day. And I think we need to distinguish between those talk shows on ESPN and Fox and actual media. Mm. You know, those talk shows are not media to a certain extent. Okay. Uh, they're they're journalism. Yes. You know what I'm saying. So we need to we need to we need to, dis we need to distinguish between that because that's just that's just talk radio on TV to a certain extent. And so they have to have segments and they talk about a little thing. But the media, the reporters, I think have, have done a good job of being cautious. Now social media is run rampant. I again I I know people in Houston. I got friends. I know everybody loves loves yes. Deshaun. We remember the work. I mean I, I remember remember him from being a work done kid. I mean that's where we come from. That's that's the image we have. No one wants to believe it. So there are a lot of people who are victim blaming. And, you know, obviously there are people who are looking at the numbers and say, look at the numbers and 
what he you don't just have that many massage therapists. So there's something else. So I think on social media, people are going back and forth. But mm-hmm. I think the media itself, uh, they've been cautious. Well, I, you know, I they, think they may have one or two exceptions, bag. but they've been cautious, huh? No, I think it's been a mixed bag. I mean, th- these are really difficult issues, and you know, because of the legal component of it, the nature of it, not everybody's really good at talking about these issues, and so the media is not a monolith. It's an individual. No, really. Like, there's individuals that have been really good on it, and there's been individuals that have done bad, and then. The talk radio has been sometimes kind of a little sketchy. Um, right, that's right. And, and, and we also have to, we also need to discern blogging and news outlets. You know, mm-hmm. the Washington Post, Houston Chronicle, and, and those people who are who are trying to be careful and, and give both sides, and maybe some of the other websites even, or not. Even some of the, even some of of the terms for things maybe not or is not as careful as it's going to be like you know i ended up writing the thing that's at the top of my social media uh, at, at the top of my twitter just because i was trying to get people to stop advocating like you are not the lawyer you don't know any of the facts good goodness the lawyers barely know the facts at this point and you're saying this, that, and the other thing based on your life experience. And you don't need to do that. And, and the main reason is why, is what Ali was saying, which is this, is this is destructive for everybody who's involved with this particular case, but it's also destructive to all the people that hear how people talk about these things. And when people are being irresponsible, it's hurtful to a lot of people. And that's why it's so important Performs like this to talk through some of these issues because these are people's real lives. These are human beings, and and it really kills me when people talk about the you know like when we're having you know press conferences. Who won this press conference? And that it's like no, it's not winning a press conference. This is not sports. This is people's real lives, and you should talk about it with that kind of seriousness. And real quick, um, with respect to that, if um, who was just jumping in right now? Was that, David? I, 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 was, I was just going to say to Roddy and Charles that if you think this media is tough on Deshaun, <laughs> the media has actually evolved in the way that it covers sexual assault cases with respect to athletes. I've been involved where I have been on the phone with someone who has admitted that it's a double standard. He would print what was speculation on the accuser's lawyer's part, but would not print anything that I said on my part unless I did not document it. Mm. I had to prove what I was saying and they would just print because the the policy of the media, not at that point, not to mention the accused name, bled into a standard of not saying anything accused uh, uh, accuser's name bled into a standard of not saying anything unfavorable to the accuser. So and those David, days, those days were hard. Uh, yeah. I, I actually think this has been more balanced than anything that we saw in the olden days. 
So I want to uh, get you to also make an, a point that I thought was very important, David, when you and I were talking with regards to um, the NFL statements that can come out in the middle of a case. Um, and with regards to this Deshaun Watson case, um, I believe Brian McCarthy had said that the NFL is reviewing the matter. And then in another statement, or maybe it was within the same, um, said something with regards to, um, you know, there's some disturbing things that have been heard. Can you just uh, kind of further along what you were talking about with that? Sure. When when uh, when when Brian said that on behalf of the NFL, disturbing my antenna went up mm -hmm. and I can tell you, in our cases, we spent as much time cultivating the commissioner, Jeff Pash and other league executives as we did the, the court, because at the end of the day, if you're talking about winning back your reputation, the only way it's going to happen is if you're on the field. Mm -hmm. Right. And we had to preserve a young man's ability to make a living and do what he wanted to do. So we spent as much time with the commissioner, Lisa, Troy Vincent, um, Jeff Pash and folks like that in some of our cases, as we did with the other side or more to get them and keep them in a neutral place, at least publicly, because my view is that when the statement came out and, and characterized mm -hmm. the, the allegations in this case as disturbing, it is very difficult for the NFL to make a public statement and then walk it back with conduct. So if, if the allegations are disturbing at this point, you can almost bet that the discipline will match the disturbing nature of the allegations, even if it never goes to trial or any of those things, because it's just not the, it's a PR issue for the NFL. It's the shield. Right. And so I was concerned when I heard disturbing because that's negative. And I would imagine that ultimately the discipline will match the disturbing nature of the allegations today. Charles, and if you can just jump in because you had mentioned, and I don't know, Roddy, if you had too, you said that you talked to Deshaun. Yeah, I spoke to him via text. Okay, and then you said that it was important to you at the time to check in on his uh, mental yeah. health. Uh -huh. For me, it's, it was for me. It was just a thing of, like I said, you know, when when you're going through anything as an athlete, and I think you know uh, somebody was saying earlier um, that we're all human beings. I don't know if it was Steph or Alex. Somebody was saying that you know we're all human beings. You know, we can't forget. You know, you know, force that make. This guy's making millions of dollars and he can do, he can do whatever he wants and go anywhere he wants, but you can't escape what reality is. So for me, it's one of those things where checking on his mental health and see, hey, man, how are you doing? I don't know the 21 and the other 22, you know, women that's involved in massage therapists. I know Sean. So I'm going to hear, hey, man, how you doing? You know what I mean? Hope you're OK. You know, things like that, because, you know, people need that. Like I said, he has to look in the eye of, you know, you know, not just followers on Twitter, but he has to look in the eye of people that he knows. You know what I mean? And like defend that rep on the line, his parents, you know, his friends, everybody's grown up with, you know. So for me, it was one of those things. And like I said, you know, I'm on the, you know, I'm on the side of, and I've made this totally clear. I don't know if you guys see my comments on Twitter, you know, I don't want any of this to be a thing where Deshaun Watson is guilty. Because like I said, as a young black man out here in this world, it's already hard enough. That's just period. So, you know, I want to see this thing play out and I, I for me I hope he's in that I'm making that extremely clear you know what I mean because I just don't want this to, I just know what this can do you know what I mean like this this is like I said this could 
carry out into a whole different world of life. Deshaun Watson, the football player, that's one thing. But Deshaun Watson going on for the rest of his life, that's a whole nother. Okay, so let me challenge you a little bit there, Charles. So you're saying you don't want him to be guilty based on obviously what you know of him and we respect your friendship with him. That's uh, one of the reasons why you know, you're know you a part of the panel too. Um, do you feel like um, even with that feeling though, that you can, as I tried to you know, kind of go into it with you before, and Roddy, I also want you to answer this question. Mm -hmm hear the facts of this case as it moves forward, whether whatever we learn of it through, um, you know, the, the, the civil proceedings or, or what have you, can, can you hear this objectively though, and not just kind of pre-conclude, you know, whatever you want it to be based on, you know, your friendship with him and let it be whatever it bears out to be. Well, you know, sometimes you get into that thing to where, uh, you know, like the, now I've, I've done it, I've, you know, I've done it, for a few days or weeks, however long it's been going on, like, oh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm hearing it, but I'm like, all I'm thinking about is, ah, that's not what I want to hear, or whatever the case may be. That's me being risk realistically about it. But I have no choice but to hear it from the rest of, uh, you know, the, let this thing play out from the point of view of the court system and everything that actually is true. So for me, myself, uh, yeah, I got to take a, a, a deep outlook on it and look at it from the bigger picture and see what actually happens. Mm -hmm. And then Roddy, what about you? Uh, I think this is such a, a touchy subject, you know, not for only me, but for the uh, the 22 women. I mean, I just think like the massage thing with athletes is so it's it's such a slippery slope of what you can and what you can't do, mm. you know, and how people feel about certain things and what, you know, like Ali said, you know, we're dealing with feelings of. You know, it's been times where I walked into a massage room and I was completely naked and you get a surprise look like you're not supposed to be naked and then you have to put back on some of your clothes. So it just depends on, you know, some of how the person feels and how you feel and how comfortable they are with you, because you can't tell somebody how they felt about an experience they had. Right. But yeah, it's. As far as, you know, Deshaun, me personally, knowing him for that long, you know, it's just hard for me to believe that he would consistently display this type of behavior. Okay, and, Allie, Joe, okay, oh, oh, go ahead. Uh, Roddy, finish, finish your sentence, please. And, 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 and knowing that he's displaying it and continuously doing it over and over and over again. You know, okay. that's just, you know, and he could, I mean, it could possibly be done, but for him to be, you know, and Ali said you could be. We lost you. Roddy. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Roddy. And Ali said you could be, you know, a totally different guy with your family, and then you could be a totally different guy, you know, somewhere else. I just know that that, that man has been, you know, he has a lot of important women in his life, you know, his mother, his grandmother, and things like that that you know play a very important role in his life and you know to answer the questions and you know have to sit down with them and explain what's going on i just don't think he would lie to them and then come out and lie to us okay so a lot of things to un unpack there hey, you, say, yo, uh, you know uh-huh one thing roddy touched on that was a good that that was a good point like you know um of course he was an athlete i was too the whole massage everything of course i've had massage therapists and it's it's kind of crazy because, you know, I've been to a point to where it's like, 
okay, I'm going to come in. And she's like, okay, well, like, are you not going to get ready for the massage? And I'm like, I'm trying to be like, you know, closed in. And it's like, no, you're okay. Like, do whatever you need to do. And it's like, I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the bathroom. She's like, dude, like, I'm not worried about you. I'm happily married or whatever the case may be. And it's like, whatever. So just what Roddy said best, you know, you can't determine what makes a person uncomfortable or not. Because I've had a massage therapist see, like, dude, you're fine. Like, I don't care. But there could be other one, like, oh, no, like, I'm, I'm, I can't look at that or whatever the case may be. So it's kind of hard. And when you so, get into that thing, then it's like, okay, well, then if, if she was uncomfortable, well, she could have been uncomfortable because the dude was standing there thinking and she didn't know. Okay, so a couple okay, a couple things with that. Now I'm gonna bring you in. So obviously you're talking about, you know, it's tricky in terms of knowing how people are gonna interpret things. And then also we want to make sure that we objectively insert with regards to what's included in these lawsuits that the range of allegations go beyond just um, you know, how you entered into a room um, and the interpretations just based on that specific aspect. Obviously, the allegations range and they are allegations from uh, inappropriate conduct all the way to um, uh, sexual assault. And some of those allegations are, are more serious. But Ali, with respect to what um, Roddy was discussing and Charles was discussing, you know, can you uh, kind of efficiently for us define what is consent and also how you weigh uh, intent, interpretation, and misunderstanding. Well, and I think consent is in, in the world in which we live right now, currently, like consent is directly connected to sex and consent is, is not just about sex. It is all like interactions, any relationship, like, and, and use the definition of relationship very large. Like if I make eye contact with the guy pumping gas, we're in a relationship, like we've, we're communicating and consent is something that needs to be discussed at all times. So you can't make assumptions about how a person is going to experience something. We can both be in the same exact experience and experience it two widely different ways. But what can be avoided is communic healthy communication about what everyone is is comfortable with what is going to happen. Let's talk about that before we get to the point where we're at the spot like, oh well, these are the assumptions or or I didn't like that that has to go back to a prevention like community education and prevention to stop violence, gender-based violence, starts with teaching our young people about consent, starting to teach our young people about healthy relationships and communications. And some of those things can be avoided through communication about this is the expectation, this is what you know I'm comfortable with, and recognizing that consent is not, not like a contract. Like you don't sign it and you're like good to go for the whole thing. You can say that I'm okay with this right now and you can change your like you can change your mind. And that is affirmative consent. You want consent to be affirmative in your nonverbal and verbal language. Like saying yes, I want to do it is very different than yes, I want to do this like you want to make sure that you're entering into a situation that says yes that i'm good with this not like oh goodness because we have power differentials and when you have the power differentials between two people in a relationship whatever relationship you know that may be you have to acknowledge that the person with less power is likely to feel less uncomfortable speaking up. So it is, it is the onus really is on, on people in positions of power to make sure that our, that our 
other people's voices are heard and that the communication has started so that we can affirmative yes consent can be achieved. Okay, real quick, Rashad, can you hear us? Rashad, is your audio on? Can you hear? Rashad got his thing on mute. Rashad, take your thing off mute. Okay, all right, can you hear? <laughs> okay, I'm gonna text him to take his thing off mute and then I'm going to uh, continue can I, on. Can I make one quick point? Yes, yeah, Ali just said. What makes this case especially difficult from a legal perspective is the nature of different types of massage. Like, you know, there is obviously therapeutic massage. There are therapeutic massage people who get assaulted. And, you know, there's all sorts of recent stories about that. Then there's also people that consensually do things like what Robert Kraft was arrested for. And in Texas in particular, it's kind of difficult because there are various situations where there's entrapment, where somebody goes to get um, sexual services at a massage parlor type place, and they don't want to ask for the service because they don't want to, um, they, they don't want to be entrapped by the police. And then the person offering the service is afraid that the John is a policeman. So how do you negotiate consent in a situation where both parties may believe that the other person is a cop? Now, I am not saying that that is this situation at all. I'm just saying generally, um, massage is a very difficult topic in, is, as far as figuring out consent and um, making sure that there's not misinterpretations and that there's actually assaults done to people who do therapeutic massage. Okay, you know, so let me let me ask who's that? Who's who's who was talking about? I, that? I was uh -huh. just mm -hmm. I was just going to say, mm -hmm. Rusty Rusty would do well for his case mm -hmm. if he made it clear publicly how common massages are for NFL players. There, are, they, I mean, one of the closest relationships that I would think in managing your body during the season that an NFL body player has is with his massage therapist. I guess it's either Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday that somebody is getting rubbed down so that they can play on Sunday. It is common. And I would think that a good degree of the population thinks that it's a luxury uh, or it's, it's Mr. Kraft's situation, a happy ending type situation, when in fact, a large, large percentage of NFL players get massages every week during the season so they can get to Sunday. Okay, but let's, but let's interject here. So Roddy and Charles, give us context as to how necessary or how common it is for NFL player to need massage outside of the confines of what is provided by the team and what is typical in your minds as far as how, you know, what is common as far as the frequency of that specifically also away from the team. And then I'll ask Clarence and Michael to jump in with regards to whether you guys feel the NFL needs to create more criteria with regards to this, just because, you know, this specific case has opened up a lot of conversation around it. Can I, can, well, can I, can I add well, one thing to that question? Yeah, go ahead. Is it common to have so many different massage therapists? Cause that has come up as well. It's more than it's just the number of, of massages and the frequency. I also think it's, how many different massages? Sir, and I would be interested in hearing the players talk about that. Well, hey, yeah. hey, can well, I can I jump in right quick, please? Mm -hmm. 
please. I, I think that one thing that we're doing is that one thing that's happened is that quote unquote legitimate massage therapists are, are getting impugned here. And then, and, and it's getting, you know, there's, you know, a, a, a gray area or the line is getting blurred between, cause there are massage therapists, men and women who massage athletes. All, I mean, I, like I said, I've been covering the league since 96, 97. And Emmett Smith was one of the first people who went and got massages daily, you know, mm-hmm. to take care of his body, which is why it was credited, why he played so long. From you the know, same masseuse he, or from multiple masseuses? I'm just asking. I, I, I think it's from the same masseuse. But I'm well, just Rusty saying that... that, that about, but, Rusty talked about this, although it was a little bit kind of confusing. He was basically saying that COVID made it difficult to get the normal places that he got massages from and that he got massages from multiple people at different times, you know, like, you know, like for example, you know, like I've got a massage envy, for example, and I go whenever I could fit it in and that's a whole bunch of different times. But he said, you know, he was making the claim that he was with them at all different times. But then he also made the claim that at least some of the interactions were consensual. So it's kind of mixed in what yeah, he's that's saying a- publicly. So I think that's gonna, I think it's gonna be individual to the individual cases. And we're gonna, I, I'm sure know a little bit more when there's actual answers to the lawsuits. Yeah, that's one, thing that we, that's one thing that we haven't covered is that according to Harden, that some of the encounters were consistent with the massage therapist. Mm. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so, and so, so you have that aspect of it too, that whole reputational aspect that he's, you know, having paying for sex with several different women. That right. could be legal or not legal, but that doesn't mean he was forcing anything. Right. Well, I think that there was a concession to uh, uh, some consensual acts. I don't know if there was a concession to whatever part of that was consensual was paid for, but go ahead. Well, I would say this uh, during the season. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm asking. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, no, bad. During the season, you probably go. Well, I used to go three times a week during the season and once a week in the off season. But to answer Michael's question about having so many different um, massage therapists, is I kind of blame that in the situation of nowadays of uh, these guys all the way across the league, they go and work out with each other now. So there's back in the day, like you would go to one facility and you would go to that one facility for your whole career. But now it's like the NFL is such a friendly environment and everybody is so cool. They just go to, they may be in New York. They may be in Miami. They may be in Minnesota. Like they just go places now, wherever, you know, where the other guy is training at and that they're, you know, their friends or they see working out on Instagram and they just get on flights and go. So, I mean, I don't know if that's like what it is of him having so many different massage therapists or him even asking the guy like, okay, who do you massage, who massages you here? And him, you know, giving the contact information out to that person. Okay, wait, wait. So let, let me just ask, and, and Charles, I'm about to bring you in. So jive with what you're saying with, uh, okay, guys traveling around and they do all whatever they're doing to the actual number that is uh, alleged in terms of the amount of masseuses with regards to um, 
Rusty Hardin uh, putting forth a, a bunch of uh, statements from women who supported um, um, Deshaun and saying that their experiences were professional. And I think that was about 18 statements. And so those are 18 different women. And obviously those statements are different from the 22 statements that were alleged. So now we're in, you know, the forties range. So are you saying, does, 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 does that, how does that number jive to you? I'll ask it in the form of a question. Is that to oh, me? Well, Roddy. Yeah, I mean that's that's where I can see where it could be high in numbers as far as massage therapists because if if you go to Miami to work out, I mean, I don't know if you're gonna call the person, you know, if you go there for two days, I don't know if you're gonna call your massage therapist on three day on the third day to tell her to fly from Houston to there if one of your homeboys or the guys that you've been working with know somebody there in Miami that can help you. Or if you come to LA you know, and you're going to be here for two or three days working out. I don't know if you're going to fly your massage therapist from Houston to just come there for one day to fly back. So, well, regardless of the travel aspect, most of these cases revolve, I, I believe, with um, with these uh, alleged, you know, massages and incidents surrounding them in the Texas area. But Charles, you wanted to jump in. What did you want to say? Uh, so, um, like, I remember when I played for Houston, things like that. Now, I had different massage therapists um, and things like that. Um, and a lot of times, you know, what people seem to forget is these massage therapists have schedule. You're not the only person that want a massage, especially on the team. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would go, I was locker mates next to, I think, Kareem Jackson and AJ Hey, Kareem, who you get a massage from? Man, I get a massage from this lady, AJ, who you get a massage from? Okay, boom. I'll take both their numbers. Let's see who's got a free schedule. Okay, I got a massage from blank on Tuesday. I try to hit blank. Hey, can I fit you in on Thursday? No, um, I have to massage somebody else. So then, boom, I'm going to another person because I have to get a massage. Like I said, I would get a massage two to three times a week. And that le that's legit because as I got older, I mean, I'm 30, but don't mind. <laughs> but as I got older, but I had surgeries and stuff like that. So I had to get deep tissue massages and all types of stuff like that. And, you know, it was one of those things to where it was like basically recommended that I get a lot of massages just to get a lot of things out and stuff like that. Um, So, I mean, you know, of course the numbers, and like Roddy made a great point. When these guys are out traveling, uh, things like that, going to Miami, hey, man, uh, Xavier Rose, who's your massage? Whoever, like, you know, just – Thinking of it like that, like these guys can legitimately have a massage therapist at their fingertips, especially with social media, man. It's okay. easy. So, uh, Rashad, can you hear us? Yeah, I can hear you guys. Am I coming All through? right. So I want to welcome in Rashad Jennings real quickly. And we're going to wrap up the conversation. Oh, Lord, have mercy, because I know we've been going a little bit longer, but obviously it's been a conversation. I want to get Rashad in there. Um, you obviously play for the Jaguars and the Giants, former NFL player. I know you've been uh, somewhat listening to the conversation. Um, it, do you want to add in your reaction, one, to whatever it is that you are aware of with regards to the Deshaun Watson case? And then also, if you want to provide context to um, NFL athletes and um the, the the manner in which they go about um getting massages or any sensitivities for you around that topic yeah sure i uh well first you know i apologize i was, on a, I was in the car and yes I didn't miss the majority of the conversation yes, but you did <laughs> <laughs> I, um i you know obviously as a professional athlete you know we, we deal with getting massages acupuncture anything any formality of taking care of your body at a 
highest level to give yourself a chance to be optimal. And so, you know, deep tis deep tissue massage, you know, you find yourself in awkward positions at times. You know, that's just a that's part of the territory. And so do you have a pre-conversation with the masseuse? No, it's kind of it's kind of known, you know, you, I got a penis like it's there. Um, I mean, to be very uh, true, okay. right? that's that's the anatomy of the body. And I know the anatomy of a woman. And right. So we, we understand in the framework that we have to work right now. That doesn't mean that there isn't a level of disrespect that could take place. Believe me, I, I believe it can happen on both both tiers. So I've been very violated if I wanted to take that route. You know, I just didn't feel it in my position to, you know. Uh, so you feel like you felt violated by a masseuse in, in, in your past? Oh, no, no doubt about it. But like, I, that's not my, I don't, you know, I'm not trying to. No, I hear you. I just, I'm just, you know. And, mm -hmm. uh, and I, I'm reluctant, like every, every situation, if I'm not in a situation, I'm, I'm very reluctant to give my opinion on what probably happened or could happen. I don't know if he did or did not. But yeah, I know we didn't, we didn't ask you, but go ahead. <laughs> well, I'll give you, I will give you a story. Listen, I, I, I was in college. I was at, uh, I started at University of Pittsburgh, then I transferred to Liberty University there as a very strict school. And uh, while I was there, there was this one girl that really uh, took fond of me. And, you know, we, I met, I, we, we finally had some time alone, almost kind of it. Not really. We was at a party. She was drunk. And uh, she came up to me. We, we danced. Everything's good. And she kind of pulled me aside. And she told me in these quotes, she said, Rashad, if you do not have sex with me tonight, I'm going to say you raped me. <laughs> now, 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 for me, I, I kind of like I'm thinking maybe she didn't say that. Right. I'm, it's loud. Maybe I'm maybe I'm tripping. What would you say? She repeated it. So what I did is I went to the DJ. I cut the music off. I cut the lights on flipping out. And I'm telling everybody, hey, this is what she said. Right. Now, I thought to myself, what if she just, for whatever reason, mm -hmm. spread this news? The damage is done, regardless if it's true or not, it's irrelevant, right? And so I'm slow to wonder, you know, what's true and what's not true. Now, mm -hmm. victims should always feel necessary, like feel comfortable to come out with the truth, um, no doubt about it. And that's the other side of it that, I, that is so annoying. Um, because you want people to feel comfortable, especially women, to say if they feel uncomfortable. I mean, they they should scream it loud as they can, you know. And as us as men, we should do our part. So with this situation, as a professional athlete, I've worked with women. I, I have massage therapists. Um, I'm I have never had an encounter that was where we felt there was a, any advantage taken of whatsoever. But I do know the anatomy, and um, we all know how it works. So. I can see why that is a sticky topic. <laughs> so do you guys uh, feel, um, and, and even some of the journalists, everyone who's in this conversation, um, or some of the past athletes that, um, you know, moving forward, that um, especially if it's a, a massage uh, for um, the purposes of you being an athlete, you know, for an NFL team, that these sessions should be recorded? Uh, I don't think privacy. Yeah. How can you record those? Yeah, yeah. I'm just I'm asking based record. off of you know. I'm no, just but, or if it's in your home, you know, or or, do, or is that something that you would yeah. do even personally? I'm just just asking, you know, with respect to protecting yourself against potential allegations. That I mean, look at what you just said that you did, Rashad. You were in a party and you said you did all this and you went and you turn on the lights and declared to everybody. So I'm just asking with regards to self protection. No, I think I think Ali made a made a good point. 
of mm-hmm. just communicating. I think communication is key right now. And um, from this situation, from now on, I think this situation is going to teach a lot of athletes that we have to start communicating and knowing, you know, when you walk in that room, you know, what is expected of you and what you can't cannot do or what you can't not say. <laughs> I, I, I want to add something to mm-hmm. the big picture view beyond yep. messages and all that. Yeah, because we're going to wrap practicing, up. I've been practicing law long enough that it, before the internet, before social media and all that, and after. And the big after part is, you know, the law talks about how we interact with each other. And if something goes sideways, there's lawsuits or criminal actions or whatever. We are living at a time, like right this moment, where we're interacting with people that we would never interact with you know, 30 years ago, because there was no way to do that. And now you interact with so many more people, you know, Uber drivers, any number of folks. And Mm -hmm. in those interactions, there's so many legal things that come from it. Either, you know, that that you can be accused of the other person, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Every walk of life. Like we talk about this as a Deshaun Watson issue or football issue. But this is an everybody issue. Yep. The amount of discovery that is done with social media, with you know, Facebook, Twitter, all of it, it's all comes to bear. And so we just need to be more careful of who we invite into our lives and know that every interaction, you know, you want to be able to be trusting of another person. But I am sure that any number of you have had situations where you've interacted with somebody that you have met through online and maybe it didn't go right. And that multiply that by infinity. So David, with that being said, um, when you think of some of the cases that have happened in the past in the NFL, okay. So we talked about we, we you know, Ben Roethlisberger, Jameis Winston, Ezekiel Elliott, Adrian Peterson, Ray Rice, Kareem Hunt, Joe Mixon, or what have you. And obviously, we've all stated over and over again, none of us were there. None of us know exactly what happened. But in the parameters of some of the cases that have happened in the past, you know, where do you potentially see this going with the uh, discipline that has been issued in the past and where things stand now, if you could do your best to provide some context with that? So uh, Deshaun and Rusty are in a period that's actually favorable to them because it's the off season. Mm. Um, And the pressure will start to mount as we get closer to OTAs and training camp because the NFL is not going to want Deshaun leaving practice and answering questions about these lawsuits. So you may recall that Michael Vick was – um, suspended before training camp. Roger told him he couldn't go to training camp. Um, with Dante Stallworth, who I represented, that was not a sexual assault. That was uh, a DUI manslaughter case. We called the NFL first and said, listen, Dante needs to be in Miami to focus on this case. If he doesn't go to Cleveland, will you guys be quiet? And the answer was yes. And so we had that space to work with him. I, I, I think right now he's in, in the most favorable position he could be in with respect to the NFL involving itself in this case. And to the extent that the media 
matters in these cases, and I think they do, if he is suspended or put on the commission exempt list and told not to come to the facility, that's going to have an impact on the civil case because this lawyer has already demonstrated that the smallest kernel that he can use to create a you know, story he's going to do. So this is the best time for them. It's going to become much more uh, difficult to manage when he gets closer uh, to the team facility. And we're going to start to wrap. Go ahead. I was hoping to ask David a question. Sure, go ahead. You know, Deshaun Watson's already in the posture that he doesn't want to play for the Houston Texans again uh, for reasons that he hasn't stated but are pretty obvious. And his salary goes up next year. If you're on the commissioner's exempt list, uh, you still get paid. If you get suspended down the road, um, it comes out of what you were paid that particular year, right? And I guess my question is, um, would that be something that they might invite this year? Because the commissioner's exemplist doesn't happen until the actual season starts. Is it that something that they might invite this year, thinking that maybe there might be um, some sort of suspension down the road, if only for you know, the, the NFL doesn't have to suspend you for a criminal or a civil event. They can just, if they, you have credible evidence that you did something bad that Roger Goodell doesn't like, they can suspend you. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I understand the question that Deshaun and Rusty would invite some level of suspension or being put on the commission ex exemplist. Or, or the I, I, I don't know about the Texans. I do know if the conversation, if somebody asked me, whether or not I'm willing to consider inviting some level of discipline from the NFL. Yeah. In my case, the answer is no. Yeah. And if someone's going to ask me whether I'm going to go to my client and suggest that he doesn't get on the football field and do what he does, the answer is no. I told you before my when we were discussing it, I'm the wrong guy to talk to about collateral issues, right? Mm -hmm. I understand what my responsibilities are as a lawyer. And my responsibility is to represent my, my client's interests and to win. Well, the, so yeah. if you start asking me to me measure things that don't have anything to do with that, I'm not going to have a long conversation with you. Can I just right? interject? Just Can I, conversation. Okay, I just want to interject for the people who are listening um, who may not know, just real quick, and, and I do want to wrap up this conversation, and you guys have been doing a fantastic job, is just to remember that, you know, uh, we there's a new CBA that went into effect in 2020. And um, as a result of that, you know, there is, um, you know, a new conduct policy. You know, the NFL uh, commissioner is no longer imposing the discipline. They do have a sort of. discipline. Huh? Sort of. Like there is, um, there, it, it looks as though that's the case. But the first, the first version when you go to, go to it is a neutral arbitrator. But then. On the initial, on the initial discipline, appeal and the appeal goes to Roger Goodell or right. his person. Right, and I was getting to that. So yes, definitely on the initial discipline, and then you have, um, and obviously this disciplinary officer is jointly appointed by the NFL and the union. And then um, if the league uh, seeks discipline, um, and they have to, have, you know, those proceedings that comes before this disciplinary officer, um, and they will have an initial determination on whether there's a violation. 
um, thereafter and, and whether there's a, a, what the potential penalty would be after that, that decision is binding subject to an appeal that can go to the commissioner. And from my understanding, you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I understand, there can only be a change on the amount of the penalty and cannot change uh, the decision as to whether there is uh, a violation. So we've uh, shifted, and you are right with that respect, uh, Stephanie, that we've shifted the initial determination of there's a violation to the independent officer. And 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 I also want to interject with respect to the uh, commissioner's exemplus that some of the people that I was talking to leak sources as far as their opinion, because this is now April and the season doesn't start until uh, September that, and I don't know if this is going to be, a, this is just their opinion, that there's enough time to one, not necessarily go to the commissioner's exemplus, one, because it's not disciplined, two, it's a holding spot while you're trying to figure out, and there is, you know, presumably a lot of time. Um, and then, uh, and then, the, you know, so there's that aspect. And then, and then two, you know, just the fact that Deshaun Watson has already, you know, put out this uh, opinion, um, or, you know, what we've heard, you know, that he doesn't even want to come back to the text. And so how, I guess the question, and even Michael, maybe you can jump into there, is how necessary is it anyways, if, you know, he doesn't want to even come back? Yeah, so, so I think just to build on what everyone has said, I mean, the exempt list wouldn't come into play for a while before the season becomes much closer in sight. I, I would think he would still not certainly want to be on it. I mean, as David noted, uh, it would be potentially prejudicial to him to be put on the exemplist because people would presume that there's been some finding of fault, even though it's akin to administrative leave, it still has a stigma to it that I think would be problematic for him. And in terms of his desire to leave the Texans, you know, I would defer to more the, the sort of the experts on whether that's likely to happen. It sounds like this issue is going to make it harder for him. To Trade value is down dramatically. I think he's staying with the. I think it's safe to say he's probably going to be staying with the Texans for the foreseeable Or definitely, you know, not come back and you know, kind of a la Trent Williams, and then see what happens, you know, in, in the subsequent year, and if he can get, you know, get traded to a better situation. Um, lastly, real quick, I just want okay, to ask one thing. You, yes, one one thing. He's, he's not. He's not. There's no way he can come back to the Texans. I, I, I. His trade value is down, but they're going to have to do something. If, if, if there's no way he can play in Houston next year. This season or next There's season? No, You're saying period? This period. season, next period. Mm -hmm. Period. He mm -hmm. doesn't trust the organization. This whole, you know, this we talk about the reputational issue in that city. There's no way he can, it doesn't matter if the trade value is down. They're gonna have to fish the cup bait. They're gonna have to get something for him and move on. Yes, the he won't get the three first round picks. They're gonna have to get something because there's no way he's playing in Houston. So, so <laughs> but there may be there may be teams. There may be teams that don't want to trade for this problem. Right. right? Yes. Oh, I agree. But somebody gonna, no, somebody gonna get that problem. He can't. Yeah, he can't. Yeah. I mean, yes. If everything well, goes, that, that's fine. There's, there's no way he's playing in Houston. I, 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 I would bet all about that. He's, he's not playing. Oh, Houston. Go ahead, it's, Ronnie. It's, it's it's twenty teams out there that'll that'll take off <laughs> easily. That boy gone. they low. Well, I would they definitely say when you've seen Antonio Brown return, um, Joe Mixon and Kareem Hunt when there w was video, um, uh, who else? Uh, you know, so 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 many other players that have returned. The one that comes to my mind, obviously, who did not return, uh, was Ray Rice. Uh, Kobe Bryant, obviously, you know, came back to the NBA, um, and and that's where I want to bring you back in, Allie, and then we'll wrap this up. When we talked about the case of Kobe Bryant. 
Okay, and and when we and, and and lastly, you guys can put in your last thoughts with regards to this. We saw an example of where an athlete um, was accused of something that was very extreme, which was uh, rape, and then he did a very public mea culpa and did a big apology. So I want to know, um, you know, what you guys think with uh, whether, um, you know, how that would play in this Deshaun Watson case if he were to do that and or decide if that was, you know, best for him and then settle, you know, from there. And do you think that that helped Kobe and, and how can, you know, apologies be regarded, you know, when you do that publicly, um, especially in the lens of, you know, the victim and what they feel like they need remedy wise as well, Allie. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, as I said earlier, I think the definition of justice is such an individualized experience um, that I think uh, survivors get the, we allow them and need to allow them the opportunity to define what justice means for them. Um, what I do want to say on the flip side, like uh, just taking the like specifics out of it is, is that we do have in our society an issue with accountability for, for perpetrators just just as a whole, as I shared with some of the statistics earlier, that the the likelihood of a of a sexual violence case being reported, then arrest, and then spending time in jail, like this is this is something that we don't see in our society. That I think it really is important that we hold perpetrators accountable. Um, and 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 again, we're not here to say whether or not this is this is this specifics. Let's take out of it. We we as a society really need to work on making sure that we're holding um, you know perpetrators accountable so we can prevent the experiences of sexual violence in, in society. And, and I would also add that, you know, you are asking a lot when, when you're talking about there was 22 cases, there's another allegation that was mentioned in the Sports Illustrated article, that each, each individual case would be a serious case the kinds of allegations that are mentioned in those cases um, carry up to one year in jail. They could be, mm. each of those could be one year in jail. The ones that are the more serious offenses can be up to 25 years in prison. Like if you're taking these things seriously, the idea of trading somebody with those serious allegations over their heads for any kind of substantial amount is a lot. Now, it may be that his agent and his lawyer may have information that would give people more comfort in doing that sort of thing. And I, I don't know what it is, but like, you know, all we have seen the, so far is these lawsuits written from the perspective of a plaintiff's lawyer. That's all we know really right now. But if you're taking these allegations seriously, that is a really hard thing to trade for. Okay, Clarence, go ahead. Stephanie, we were only talking about trading once this got resolved. I don't think anybody was suggesting that these cases were still going to be out there and the trade was going to happen. Well, I, I mean, I, I was assuming. Resolved. Yeah, I don't think he's resolved anytime soon. I mean, this well, is I, I don't know. He could settle. He could do whatever. I'm just saying, once it, it got resolved, two. it huh? takes two. What's curious about this case is both lawyers have the ability to. They could settle this tomorrow, but they also have the ability to take it to trial. And the plaintiff's lawyer, in particular, says it's not about money. He doesn't need money, and he may want. 
to take each one of these to trial. And you can't settle with somebody unless they want to settle. Right. But, but, but I think what Clarence is saying is that if, hold on one second. I think what Clarence is saying is that um, even if the potential is that two parties could do that and we just don't know both when, when I say two parties, I mean, both sides, we just don't know when that's going to happen. So I I understand what you're trying to say. I was just pushing back. I was just pushing back the thought process. We were talking about trading and going to the other team. Like this was, like we weren't taking this seriously. Yes, we were. I I yeah, was yeah. only talking in, in essence once it got resolved that he would not be playing with that he could be trading. Yeah, and uh, the not, not with this hanging about, over his head. Yes, I hear. And the hardest that. part about this is the legal process goes really, really slow, and the NFL season just keeps on going, and they are not compatible in a lot of respects. And the plaintiff's lawyer knows what the pressures are financially on Deshaun Watson. And there's a lot of different leverage points. And, but it's not something that like, once you get the legal process going, whether it's civil, whatever happens with the criminal offenses, the, the criminal offenses are not settleable. There are okay. many other people. Sure they are. You can please. Yes, but you can please. If anybody knows the NFL, the NFL, mm-hmm. listen, the NFL will trade for you. That's, that's a prime. That's a prime athlete in the prime, almost a face of the NFL type guy. The NFL, which is about money, to be realistically, they 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 will find a way. I'm pretty sure, I, and I like to gamble. I bet top dollar that is a GM <laughs> or owner out there that's already sniffing around. Man, you think it's gonna go? Because and, and listen, I'm gonna interject my opinion in there that I I, I do feel that when all of this is. Um, you know, whatever the resolution may be, and 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 it's not to take away from the seriousness of the gamut of all of the allegations that are inserted into all of these alle- uh, allegations and lawsuits. But when all of it is done, wherever that may be, this year, next year, or wherever, uh, I do believe that based on what we've seen with other athletes, some of whom, um, you know, David Cornwell has represented, that we will see Deshaun Watson return back to the NFL. And however he goes about that, whether it's self-reflection, settling, not settling, going for it, yeah. all the way for it, trying to prove your name, and whatever that resolution is on the backside of that, I, I do believe that he will be back. And, and one other thing, we keep, we keep bringing up Kobe, and I think we're misremembering the Kobe case. Mm-hmm. Because the Kobe case was on trial, a criminal trial, and, and they stopped cooperating and they settled. Mm-hmm. No, no, that's not accurate. Kobe's case mm-hmm. was an allegation of rape. When he apologized, when he apologized, he acknowledged sex and he was apologizing to his wife. Right. And then, and then when we saw him going back and forth to court, those were preliminary hearings. Right. Okay. At one point, at one point, the prosecution moved to have an item excluded from evidence and said in their motion, if that item is admitted into evidence, and I'm I'm not I'm not saying I know what it is, but I'm not saying it's just kind of crass. Mm-hmm. If that's admitted into evidence, it will compromise our ability to win a conviction. And when it was excluded from evidence, I mean, when it was admitted in evidence, Herbert, the prosecutor, had a duty, an obligation to drop the case. He had already set the standard and said it would compromise our ability to win a prosecution, win a conviction. And a prosecutor takes an oath not to bring the case unless they believe they can win a conviction. 
So Herbert stopped, dropped it before it ever went to trial. And okay. the, what, what happened later, the same lawyer that went after Kobe, John Clune, was the lawyer in the Jameis Winston case. He makes a living out of suing black athletes, accusing them of race. Mm. That's what he does for a living. Okay, so, Kobe, so, on Kobe, point, so on that Kobe, point. Kobe yeah, settled, and as Kobe. a, Kobe settled the civil case to get it behind him because the, the wife wasn't having any more of this. For a four, four million dollar ring or not, she was not having any more of this. Cut a check. He did, and Clune insisted on an apology as an element of the settlement. That's Kobe's case. And, and Kobe, may he rest in peace as we. And he, re and he regained his, and he regained his reputation. What'd you say, Clarence? And he regained his reputation. To some people. Right, to some. And see, and I love that all these different, you know, you know, good qualifications with regards to the conversation. Uh, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to once again do a final point here, Rashad, because you're listening. I want to also get you back in with this case. So, um, Ali, going back to your original mantra, lastly, that you said at the beginning of this with uh, the Houston Area Women's Center believing all women and us being in this uh, era of uh, believe women, me too, with seeing what we're, we're seeing what's going on with the governor of New York, with Andrew Cuomo, Matt Gates, and, and all of these, you know, you know, sort of things that continue to come up. Um, do you feel through this discussion that we have married up the initiatives of the good work that you all try to do in supporting victims, right? But also Rashad, Roddy White, Charles James, um, it, with respect to um, the real fact also that players, um, people, men, women, the accused out there as well can be targets and feel like targets as well. So I think, you know, statistics show, right? There, there are incidents and when there's false allegations, the statistics show that. But I also think it's so important to show that statistics is two to 8%. Like, do they happen? Yes. But not all survivors are false allegations. And it is very important that we provide space for those voices to be heard and not be targeted and victim blamed or questioned, but be believed in this world. So that way they have the opportunity to share their voice in a legal setting. That is, that is not that is not a realm I'm interested in diving into, but I think both of those sides need to be heard so we can have justice as like as justice is proposed to be in in America. But it is so important that that we as a society support survivors in in encouraging survivors to report, encouraging survivors to access support services, and make sure that we create spaces where survivors feel safe to share their story because those stories deserve to be heard. So players on this panel, are you, go ahead. I was gonna ask her, so the Believe All Women, is that, that's like a place or that's like an organization or, or what is that? Because I'm-, I'm That's the yeah. mantra. Mm -hmm. So I was- So that's, so that's a, it's a, a quick question. I don't know if it's offensive or not, but like, isn't that like kind of like handicapping to a point? So I work at the Houston Area Women's Center. So our agency for the past 40 plus years has provided services to survivors of domestic and sexual violence. When an individual comes in to access services at the Houston Area Women's Center, they are self-identifying 
as a survivor of domestic or sexual violence. And with that, if someone is going to share their story with me and say that this is part of their life, it is not believe all women, it is believe survivors. If someone is telling you this story, it deserves to be believed. And then, and I wanna add with the criminal justice system in particular, um, each jurisdiction is evolving in this way, but, but the justice system is trying to be better in, in handling things and understanding that justice is individual. And they're, they're trying to train police officers to have that approach where they're not <laughs> being instantly critical when somebody comes to them. But there are um, special victims units. You've probably seen some of that stuff on TV. But that it's, it's a broad thing where they now work with um, survivor organizations and try to make the process more welcoming and make sure that prosecutors listen to survivors on what they want so that they they have ownership in the in, in the process because I it, it hasn't always been that way it used to be very common where people would come to the police and then it's like why did you do this and why do you do this and and they're supposed to be a more um, welcoming environment for people to be heard yeah because it's it's scary it's scary things yeah and having trauma-informed care like the the start of trauma-informed care is understanding expressions of trauma understanding what happens in the brain and trauma which is like there's scientific you know support for this and making sure that we're engaging with survivors recognizing the triggers and how memories are stored in experiences of trauma and 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 trauma for client-centered services i myself have had the opportunity to to work with prosecutors at the da's office and and train in in do expert witness um, to work with HPD to to train them in trauma informed kids. So there, our criminal justice system is making efforts, and and we are we are moving forward. But there's still a lot of steps ahead of us in 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 really making sure that survivors are heard. Okay. Lastly, so Roddy, Rashad, go ahead. Yeah, I really want to understand because <laughs> um, I, I appreciate the work that's being done because I honestly believe everybody should be heard that that like you said that is a survivor of domestic violence uh in any laundry list of of assaults um and what you said something kind of like I, I wanted clarity you said if somebody's willing to tell to tell the story we should believe them is that what i heard you say she, she did i think it's important it's important this is where we started rashad mm-hmm. um it's hard to be a um as precise as a lawyer might be. In her lane, and Ali, I salute you for your work, but also for your presentation and how you do your work. And and, um, in her lane, providing uh, counseling and other support services, it is important for her to come from a posture of believing the story. But she has said numerous times that that does not bleed over into my lane, where the accused is innocent until proven guilty. And, and she readily accepts and expresses it extraordinarily well that doing what she does is not intended to impact how I do what I do. And we can both be successful and coexist when you know the top line is, if you believe every 
survivor, then every one of my clients is guilty, right? But that's not what she's saying. Totally. Totally. And, and, and honestly, the power of voice, like the power of voice is so important. And I think there are different lanes and, and different spaces for both voices deserve. That is a right. That is a human, a fundamental human right to be heard and have a voice. And I think there are different spaces where different voices carry different weights. And to make sure that we as a society make sure that we hold those spaces equally for both parties to, to be heard and, and, and use their voice. Totally. So Roddy, do you, uh, do you so feel, okay. have you achieved players? Have you achieved a sense of, of comfort, you know, with regards to these explanations and do you feel, um, you know, for any of the, you know, current players that uh, there's a fair environment for them to defend themselves? Um. Yeah, from my point of view, um, what Ali was saying makes sense. I mean, every woman should be heard, you know, and um, for a woman to actually come out and tell their story, and not only that, to have people around them that could bring them confidence so that they can go back into the world and not be afraid, you know, and just these things not happen to other women. And um, from our perspective, as an athlete's yes. perspective, it's just, it's very hard for us, you know, the 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 level of responsibility that we're supposed to go on a day-to-day -day basis and just reading people and reading environments and having an understanding of what people are trying to do or if they're not, you know, trying to do things to us and just gravitating through the world like that. It's just, it's just a tough situation for us. Yeah. And, you know, like she says, man, we have to, we have to form lines of communication in order to, to be at our best you know, to be at our best and, you know, stay cautious of everything that's around us and, you know, have really good outcomes. So Because the real talk here, the real talk is, and, and Alan, I'm saying this to you too, and, and, and everybody here, but the real talk is that there is real, you know, victim situations here, but then there's also real situations of people trying to take advantage of people as well. And I, and I think that even is important, you know, for me as a woman, to say that as part of moderating this uh, uh, topic as well. And, you know, Michael, I, I know you haven't said anything. Is there any last, you know, word that you wanted to, or recently that you want to, you know, get in with regards to a button on this topic? No, I, I feel like uh, everyone has really shared eloquent points. I, I would just say, I would go back to, I think Stephanie mentioned, this could take a while. And, and I think that we need to sort of prepare ourselves that this story doesn't match well with the sports news cycle or with the NFL season that there, there's no certain time when this ends and this could go into next season and beyond. And I think, uh, you know, I don't know whether there will be fatigue from fans, right? Sometimes that happens with the news cycle, but regardless of whether that happens, it's important that we talk about these issues more generally and, and Ali's comments about that, I, I think are worth accentuating. So everyone agrees or disagrees that Deshaun Watson has played his last game for the Houston Texans. <laughs> you know, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just it, listen. I mean, because if uh, I, I don't know, you know, there's a if there's an eight game suspension, you know, there's a decision to be made there. If you're going to come back, accrue your season, you know, uh, you know, make payment, you know, get paid for the remaining. So I, I'm just, I'm just asking. Yeah, I mean, at least from putting my covering the Texans hat on, I mean, it's pretty clear that 
that situation is not the way that he wants to lead a football team. Like they handle things that he just doesn't have any trust in the leadership team. And that was all articulated before all of this came forward. Now, does it change things that, um, you know, his sponsorships have been adversely affected and that it's harder to um, miss up on money um, during this time? And does it affect things that the Houston Texans are probably one of the more conservative organizations if you're looking at the NFL totally as far as what their perception is? Like, you know, well, the only reason why I'm saying that is because let's, if, and I, I really want to wrap this up, but if sure. he gets an eight game, if he gets an eight game suspension, right? So then basically what everybody is saying, or what I hear is that if he gets like an eight game, six game, presumably, and he may not, but let's hypothetically, if that were to happen, then we're saying that the rest of the games, he's making a decision to just still stay out. No, I think he'll play for them. I don't, I, so you do feel like you'll play for them. That's what I was if asking. He, if he gets an eight game suspension, and he has to be there, he's going to – that's just his character. He's going to go out there and do his job. He's going to play for them for the for the, for the the rest of the eight games. But then they would have to fire everybody in that organization. <laughs> Fast. Everybody's got to go. <laughs> they, would, they would have to fire everybody that they just hired. Cal can't fire himself, though. Cal can't go for himself. over there, man. I just think we're, we're talking about a hypothetical that just this, this won't happen. If he gets to the point, they're not going to do any suspension until it gets resolved. We already know that they don't suspend anything until the case gets resolved. You already said most likely won't get resolved by next year. Uh, mm -hmm. But he could get put on a commissioner's list if that's the case. But the, 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 again, there is no way he's suiting up for the Texans again. But here's the no thing. way, no how. Could he be put on the commissioner's exempt list for 16 or 17 games, right? That would be, if I'm the union, I'm going to argue that that is really unfair to, to sort of throw him aside. And yeah, he's still paid while he's on the exempt list, but it's still prejudicial. It's still damaging to his reputation. A lot of fans are going to say he's suspended. They're not going to make the distinction between the exempt list and actual. Mm -hmm. I think this is a real quandary for the NFL. Especially that's why I asked a question. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Michael, the, another point is that I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with NFL executives where they have said a suspension where I've argued for a fine, for example. And they tell me, no, the suspension is important discipline because players want to play. Right. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. And then to turn around and say commission an exempt list you'll get paid, but you can't play, isn't discipline. You've never said that before. Right. You've always viewed taking a player off the football field as being a form of discipline, right? So, well, and, it, well, and lately, lately the, the most recent trend has been, the, the most recent trend has been for them to hold off doing uh, discipline until they've done the full investigation. But doing a full investigation of this situation is harder than anything that they've ever done. You know, it's not one person. Look at what just happened, Antonio Brown. I mean, he played the first game last season, then the, all the whole rest of the season while they were trying to figure it out, you know, and investigate and review. That ended up being the season-long, you know, suspension in effect. You know, while the, and then he had to come back and then serve the A game, and then came back on the backside of that. 
and it's still, you know, going through, you know, you know, litigation or whatever, and still for his, you know, situation came back and won a Super Bowl ring. But I hear great you. person you brought up because guess what happened? That young man went back and played, and not only that, won a Super Bowl and was impactful. So if you don't think the NFL, like I said, these GM, these owners, look, man, we care about players making money, best product on the field. Fold will find a place to go and will be. I'm yeah, telling you. Everybody know that. We, we, we know. All right. All right. Well, listen, we have had a great conversation. This extended way longer than I thought it would. But all of you guys had such, you know, valuable insight, you know, qualified voices and expertise. I really appreciate all of you joining the conversation, the diversity of the conversation and the balance of the conversation. I think all of you did a good job as far as, um, you know, keeping it high level and introducing those insights as well. So, you know, for Michael McCann, uh, let me see, Clarence, I, I think you just popped out of here. Uh, Allie Jacobs. Uh, Steph Stradley, Roddy White, David Cornwell, Charles James, Rashad Jennings, who joined us late, but we appreciate your insights in that uh, interesting anecdotal story that you gave to us there at the end. And also Clarence Hill, we appreciate everybody's time on this conversation, an NFL conversation on allegations, lawsuits, and crisis on Undefined with Josina Anderson. And I really appreciate you guys joining us and all. Uh, we will continue to monitor the situation as it unfolds. Thank you all. Thank that was you. a great job. Appreciate Thank it. You. Thank you, everybody. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Good night. Okay, guys. Bye. <laughs>